0: My name is Reed, I'm one of the pastors here. It's such an honor to be here with you guys, Whitewater, community, my people. Well, actually, so you're a part of my people, but in my people, like 18 and sub, um, this is just the old people room. So like if you get above 18, you're just old. There's no like, there's no young adult, there's no old adult, everybody's just old, It is what it is. As a fellow old person, I'm just telling you uh, that that's how that works because I'm also old at the age of 30, and I have no life experience, and I don't know what they're going through. And it's hard, right? It's hard. Uh, But this is our last week uh, going through our series talking about meeting God on the mountain. Um, And it's such uh, a fun thing to come wrap this up for you guys uh, into a nice, awesome Be With Jesus bow. So, uh, as we were going through the other couple of weeks, I've learned a lot. I don't know if you guys have the, as as well, um, but I learned a lot while watching the videos. Right? Has it, Has anyone been here and seen like a lot of the videos, or at least watched them online? That's great. Yeah, no one got it. It's great. Yeah, me neither. I was here, but I wasn't really paying attention. Just kidding. I was watching. But if you were watching, or you can go back and watch. Here's what I figured out: um, climbing mountains sucks. Right. <laughs> There's nothing fun about it. You have to go up in an incline. It's a lot of physical effort. It hurts your legs. You, you almost die, right? Like, yeah, right. I'm just, I'm being honest. There's nothing about me that wants to climb a mountain. Like a part of me is like, you know, if God is like, hey, meet me on the mountain, I'm kind of the guy that's like, can we meet like down here maybe? Like at sea level, you know? Like why do we have to climb in order to get there? I don't know. This is the same guy. I was just complaining because I was like, I don't know if I can do my office work this week because my mattress is feeling like a little too firm and I was a little crumpled up on one of the... I was like pretzled up in my sleep and now my back hurts. I got like a shoulder that's sore. So climbing mountains probably not in my like top three things to do anytime soon. Uh, The second thing I learned was like, John looks great crying on video, right? Like it's just his (laughs) big head up on the thing. Not that he has a big head, just the screen is large, so it makes his head big, right? I, I say that, my, don't worry, guys, seriously, my family has huge heads. So I'm not saying that as like a, as like a diss to him. There's, it's a big screen. I don't, know if, I don't know if he's considered an ugly crier or like a good one. That's really something that I've been struggling through of like, what's the line between an ugly crier and a pretty crier? And where do you cross the line? Has anyone thought about that before? No? All right. Anyway, that's not the point of this message. I just If you want to talk about it afterwards and give me some input, I would love it. I just don't know where it lands. Uh, I, there are some, some awesome things and awesome people that have come. Uh, I mean, I feel like God continues to remind me of, like, hey, you need people. They're, like, you need it. You need to see them. You need to witness how I'm moving in them. And so it's been really awesome to see um, a couple people come and uh, our friend Nancy came and she's working uh, releasing captives for 22 years in Asia, right? That's awesome, right? Yes. And in the same way, God is like, hey Reed, you should be a little bit more productive maybe. She's been doing this for 22 years. You've been alive for 30. Uh, the greatest thing that I did this week was like, try to get my two year old to not eat glitter glue. Uh, like it was seriously, it was a mess. It was all over the place. I don't know what it is about that, but he's right to the mouth. I'm trying to figure it out. Um, or like Thursday night, like, honestly, like I stayed awake for a really long time to catch Taylor Swift's Midnight's album. Uh, that was remarkable because I don't normally stay awake that long now either. Uh, so that was a big win for me. So I feel like God is like, Hey, you can be a little bit more productive, maybe, I mean, Taylor Swift definitely needs your listens and stuff like that, but we could probably move in a different direction and that would be fine. Uh, But we also got to see some really cool stuff last week in our friend Connor, who's going to plant a church in Middletown. Or like my buddy Fletcher, yeah, right? It's awesome. Or like my buddy Fletcher, who is going overseas to figure out, like, hey, what is God calling him to do? And what are the things that God has put him on this planet for? And God, how can I further your mission? Guys, that is what I'm talking about. Like, if you wanna get me fired up, this is, where I get, this, is where it's, this is where it's at. This is how I get fired up. I've been waiting 30 years to be a part of a church that is, that I get to see God movement in people, right? Like a long time. So this is awesome to see, hey, God move in our church, move in our people. There's some tangible, really awesome ways that God is moving. Well, here you go. He's answered that prayer. The fifth thing for me that I've learned is I need more urgency in my life to see God in every area of my life. There's too many things that just don't line up. There's too many things that like, God just really isn't fully a part of. But sometimes I feel like I'm a little bit of a sloth. Like, is anybody with me on that? Like if someone asked me, I've been dealing with the same thing since I was like six, right? My mom is like, hey, you need to do this thing. I'm really slow to move towards something someone tells me to do quickly. Maybe some of you guys are like, that's just my kids, you know, like like, I'm not like that, but my kids are like that, right? My mom's like, hey, you need to clean up your room. And there's a piece of me that's like, you know, I'll get to it. But in all, I have no intention of getting there (laughs) at all, like 100%. But then I actually have this other side of me. That is like urgency all the time. I got to get this done. I got to meet this person. I got to figure this stuff out. I have to think about this or I have to move here or I have to whatever. It's multiple things all the time that are running in my head saying, you have to get this done now, right now. And either way, I'm struggling with the same thing every day. I'm in a hurry so much so that I forget to be with my father or I'm moving so slow that I think I can just wait a little bit longer and put it off. Both keep me from seeking solitude with Jesus. A solitude is an opportunity to open up our lives and souls to him for who we were made. So we see the need for it. It's written all over the place, right? Like if you look through scripture, we see so many others in the Bible spend time with God as well. Moses met with God alone in the burning bush in Exodus 3 and on Mount Sinai. Jacob was alone with God when, he, uh, when God wrestled with him in Genesis 32. Zechariah was alone with God when he learned he would be the father of John the Baptist in Luke one. Elijah was alone with God uh, when God appeared to him in 1 Kings 19. David spent much of his time alone with God as evidenced by many of the Psalms that he wrote. And let's be honest, I don't even like being alone. Anybody with me on that? I am like actually a certified crazy person when I am by myself. I don't know what happens when my thoughts are all over the place. I start thinking about things that I shouldn't. I start thinking about things that I don't even want to acknowledge. I start thinking about things like my own hurt and my own pain and my own feelings. I don't want to go there. So when I do go there, it's a mess, right? I'm like bawling by myself in the corner and people are like, what are you doing? Is now the right time? Probably not. But, you know, I'm by myself. Stop leaving me by myself, right? That's, yeah. But again, the need to being alone with our father is also reverberated in history. Like the the need to be alone continues to pop up over and over and over again, even people outside the Christian circle. Blaise Pascal, he says it this way, a French mathematician, he says, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. One of my mentors told me, he was like, hey, listen, if you want to be a great thinker, you need to learn how to be alone in your thoughts. I was like, well, I guess I'm not a great thinker, you know? I'm not going to be alone by myself with my thoughts at all. (laughs) And if we're really trying to look at Jesus' life to emulate and lead us to transformation of ourselves, then we have to utilize Jesus' greatest tool, solitude with the Father. A system that seems simple, yet we struggle to accomplish it on the daily. So let's dive into Jesus' process of retreating and reentering the world around him. This is such an interesting thing. Even now, battles are won and lost and fought over with the idea of retreat and re-entering. The ancient Romans would start together in a formation that looked like an indestructible wall, right? And as the battle raged on, which is hectic and kind of crazy, and there's people all around you and things that are looking to kill you, right? So to me, that's like, I don't know, the South, you know? Once I figured out that they had scorpions that sometimes pop into your shoes, I was like, I'm good with the Midwest, you know? But as they would get into these battles and people would get distracted and they would get all over the place, they would start to disperse and they would get singled out and people would be way, way, way out of position and they would start losing guys. And the leader of that group would then notice this and call them to retreat. So at that time, as he called them to retreat, it wasn't so that they would give up on the battle. It was that the battle was getting crazy and they were starting to show some weaknesses. So they would, tr- they would retreat back, get back into position, and then they would start all over again, addressing as quickly as possible how their weak spots and their weakness was starting to hurt the family. So the retreat wasn't actually meant to find, the retreat was actually meant to find weak spots and strengthen themselves. The healthy Christian life is neither wholly solitary nor wholly communal we withdraw like Jesus to a desolate place to commune with God. It says that in Mark 1. And then return to the bustle of daily task and the needs of others. We carve out a season for spiritual retreat in some momentarily sacred space to feed our souls, enjoying God there in the stillness. Then, after that retreat, we enter back in as light and bread to a hungry, helpless, dark world, like it says in Matthew 9. Sounds great, right? Like I think about the opportunity to get filled up all the time. I'm like, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I'm really, really, really tired of chasing my two-year-old son around. Like, God, can you fill me up with something that doesn't make sense? Whatever you're promising, I'm in for that, right? Sometimes I'm tired of people. Sometimes I'm tired of what, the, what people bring. Sometimes I'm tired of the weakness of the world around me. Sometimes I'm tired of my own weakness. And I'm like, okay, God, can you fill me up? ready to go, be given all that I need to run back into the fray and do what I love most, making sure students find belonging with people who follow Jesus Christ. I'll do anything for students to come into our building and find a home and then challenge them to bring that home to someone else. But I can't do that well, not on my own, not if I'm burnt out, not if I'm too tired, not if I don't have patience. I mean, Jesus was doing a bunch of awesome stuff after he retreated, right? He was a master at the retreat, so he would re enter with a bang. Luke 6, 12, he talked about he went out alone to be with the Father, and then when he came back, he chose the 12. Or Matthew 5, one day he saw crowds gathering. Jesus went up to the mountainside and sat down, and his disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them retreat and re enter. Matthew 14, it says, After sending them home, he went up to, into the hills by himself to pray, and night fell while he was there alone. Guess what he did after that? A bunch of miracles. God's rhythm of retreat and reenter is all over the place. And I crave, like when I look at Jesus and how he talked to his father, I crave a relationship that provides what God provides, right? Peace, joy, belonging, purpose. These are things that I've wanted my whole life. I've wanted those forever. But the real question isn't solely why should we? I think most of us in this room get the feeling or get the thought of like, yeah, it's probably a good idea to spend time with Jesus, right? But it's more like, why don't I? And we all probably understand that it's good, but we have such a hard time of actually following through and doing it on the daily. But I think there's a few reasons why we don't. One is this. Our world tells us that being busy is synonymous with being important and needed. My practical side points out all the important things waiting to be done and whispers, hey, listen, you have to get your stuff done before you can rest. Before you can take a day off, you need to work really hard and get the whole checklist done. We feel like we have to check everything off the list before we can allow ourselves the rest we need. And my heart side reminds me that the most important thing is our relationships or the person. And if I've committed to him today and if I'm going to uphold that commitment. Then, usually when I think that thought, the phone buzzes, and yet another responsibility threatens to pull me back into the daily living of everyday life. But Psalms puts it this way, we are merely moving shadows, and all of our busy rushing ends in nothing. Whew, that's deep, right? We are merely moving shadows, and all of our busy rushing ends in nothing. I feel really busy today. Guess where it ends? Nothing. Nothing. Imagine what good stuff Jesus might have otherwise done with all those hours he spent in retreat. If you want to put up percentages or whatever, let's say Jesus did 50-50. Man, the amount of miracles that he pulled off with the time that he re entered What could he have done if he didn't retreat? He could have done a lot of amazing things. But again and again, he chose in perfect wisdom and love to give his first and best moments to seeking his father's face. And if Jesus, even Jesus carved out such space in the demands of his human life, shouldn't we all do that a little bit more? Notice Jesus didn't use his solitude as an excuse though for other things. Like he didn't say, hey, listen, I know it's your birthday party, but like I gotta spend time with Jesus alone, right? Listen, kids, I would love to feed you dinner, but I can't, I have solitude with Jesus time. That's probably a terrible excuse. I'm going to use it and see how it, I'll be our test dummy. uh, And I'll come back and see how it goes. It won't end well. They're going to start gnawing on my limbs or something. It'll be crazy. But Jesus had this incredible knack for putting things off or immediately handling them. And so sometimes he didn't use solitude as, hey, listen, I can't be with you right now. I can't meet your needs. I have to go seek my father's face. Sometimes he was like, hey, listen, my father can wait just a moment because I know that he put you here for a reason in my life for me to take care of. And then other times he had the ability to say, okay, listen, this isn't really the biggest need right now. I'm gonna go commune with my father and then I'm gonna come back. And he did. I don't know about you, but I'm really not that good at this balance thing, but I'm trying to figure it out. The truth of this is the enemy of your soul would love to keep you being so busy in good things that you never do the best thing. Spending actual time with your king. Peter warns us, be self-controlled and alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 1 Peter 5. We have an active enemy and the last thing he wants you to do is the most important thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. It is neither lazy nor negligent to spend time with God. Despite what people say, despite what your job says, despite what your kids say. The, thought of, the second thing is this. The thought of, of time alone with God can feel frightening, especially with a specific agenda. I already told you I'm terrible at being by myself. I'm more terrible at being by myself without white noise. Bad at it. Quietness, you mean death. That's like, that's what you're, it's it's terrible. I don't know how anyone does it. I faked bought my kid like a sound machine so that way they could sleep better at night. I just use it for myself. because I'm like, this is way better, right? It gives me peace. I'm terrible at keeping myself on track too. And without an agenda, I'm even more bad. Sometimes we feel like we have to sit in silence and twiddle our thumbs, which leads to our thoughts that we don't want to acknowledge then leads to finding the next thing to distract ourselves with. Maybe it's our phone. uh, Maybe it's our daily task. Maybe it's our job. Whatever can keep us busy. But then we miss out on an opportunity to connect with Jesus. And the truth there, when I first started practicing uh, of scheduling time away with God, um, I'm gonna be real honest. I was just bored. I have ADD. I like to move a lot. And I was like, what if I sit down in silence? Well, that was poor. Stopping for a long period of time was so foreign to me. I didn't know how to do it. It took time and practice for God time to become a familiar joy. Now I love my time away, but it's still really hard to get there. I don't always walk away with profound truths or spiritual revelations and Sometimes I just read my Bible. Sometimes I sit outside on a swing and watch my kids play in the backyard. Sometimes I like to watch nature, you know, whatever that means. And sometimes I just sit here and I'm like, God, I don't have anything to provide. I have nothing to provide to you, but I'm available. What what you choose to do with this time now, God, is yours. I'm just available. And remember, like your God day doesn't have to be super far away or cost money or you don't have to go climb a mountain. Like praise God, you know what I'm saying? I'm out for that. Uh, It could be an at-home getaway. What are the things that you need to do in your life that just, God, this is your time. I'm available. And if you're a mom, I feel for you. I'm not a mom. I'm a dad. So I know our job's a little easier. Um, But, you know, if you need to go take a shower, lock the bathroom door while they try to bang and, and break in while your kids are practicing being vandals, you know, do what you do, what you need to do, mom. What are the things that you need to do in order to get a moment away? Jesus says in Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Just do that. Run to him. And see over time how he chooses to meet you there. You will be changed. Test him in that. The third thing is is, we often don't feel worth God's time. We miss, skip a day and we start to feel guilt. We start to keep score with ourselves about how too far gone or miss the mark in order to just receive God's love. And sometimes we get to these thoughts of we get to these thoughts of how to work, uh, or that we work so hard to gain God's love, and we have to attend so many hours at church and we have to give so much money and we have to uh, serve eight hours a week or we have to pray 15 times a day or read our Bible this amount of time. And we get so caught up in that list instead of actually appreciating the relationship we can have or do have with God. Or maybe we're just sparing God from spending time with the real us, right? Like, you know, you know your insecurities. You, You know what you're the worst at. You know the the deepest, worst parts of you? You know what you've done in your history? I don't know about you. There's just times in my life where I've been like, I'm not really worthy of God's time. This this holy, perfect being who supposedly loves me, but like me? Like I don't even really love myself all that much. Like he probably doesn't even really want to be around me. Reminding ourselves that we are sinners who aren't worthy of His time. The truth there is is that we aren't worthy of His time. Yet He chooses to give it to you anyway. See, the problem with a God's scorecard is we will always lose. If we continue to tally up points or deduct points from ourselves, which let's be honest, normally we're deducting points, we'll lose. Oftentimes I find myself wanting the love of God so much and his people, but I I find myself refusing to accept it. I think I'm unworthy of the love that God has been putting people in my life that love me and actually accepting that love. I'm also just really selfish. I have a little too many things in my life that don't fully look like Jesus yet because I don't want them to. And instead of running to God, I run to people. I try to fill my God-sized hole in my heart with anything else I can find. And what a distraction that is, right? Truth is, God loves you. God loves me. We don't have to be perfect. It says this in Ephesians 3. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being, in your soul, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through your faith. In Acts 17, Paul wrote, for in him, we live and move and have our being. That means every moment all the time. He also wrote, pray continually in 1 Thessalonians 5. That means every moment all the time. But let's be honest, I was just telling you about how I can put it on my schedule. Now you're telling me I should do it all the time. How in the world do we pray continually and everything else we have to do? I'm going to tell you a secret, because I love secrets. It's not very secretive because it's with everyone in the room, but I'm going to say it. I love when people walk up and they go, "Wow, have you lost weight?" I don't know. It, it just feels great, right? Like even if you haven't, it feels great. And while I'm sitting here thinking about, um, while I'm sitting here thinking about my non-existent diet technique that I've obviously been on. The only thing that ever pops into my mind is I just love, love, love the old saying of being, well, you know, it's not really a diet, it's a lifestyle. (laughs) Like it's just, it's not something that I did. It's just, it's it's me, I've changed. My lifestyle is now different. My weight has not, but my lifestyle (laughs) has changed so much. But running to God is so similar to that, right? Like we have to commit to a life filled with Jesus. Here's the key, it's not a separate activity, but a lifestyle, a lifestyle of union and communion with God. A lifestyle where you say, hey, listen, my life is yours. God, let's merge the two, take it over. Unity and in communion with God. It's not an activity for your to-do list to be checked off, but an attitude for your to-be list to be wrapped in. So sometimes I get in the moment where I pray this prayer and you can steal it too. I say, dear Lord, soothe my soul with your presence. Help me stay in constant communion and union with you no matter what else I have going on today in Jesus' name. I mean, I wanna be so urgent to run to the Father, so urgent to talk to him, so excited for what he's doing in me, through me and around me that I can't help but share with him, right? I mean, God, I'm so excited about what you're doing through your people. It has nothing to do with me. I'm just so excited to see you change their life. God wants me to be a dependent person, but dependent solely on him. I've always desired to be helped and guided and loved. Yet so often I'm like, man, I don't know if I have that. And I already have that in Christ. As much as we want to trust ourselves in the things of this world, we know we can't. When we try to put our our trust in people or things, we become filled with fear and doubts because we know nothing in this world can promise us a better tomorrow. But God can. Here's my final plea to you. Make a commitment to urgently run to the Father. Make him your home to run to. Often. It won't look perfect. It won't even look pretty if it looks like mine. But do it. Psalms 91 says, Whoever dwells, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will save the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. If you're looking for help, if you're looking for protection, run to God, because he wants to be your refuge and your fortress, your home. Make, your, make God your home, and you will find rest. Rest from hurry, rest from your own human nature, rest from your insecurities. Let's be honest, I could use a little bit of that. Continue to ask, where's God calling you to meet him on the mountain? But it has to be away with him. Break the rhythms of normal everyday life. He's waiting to refill you, waiting to charge you up so that he can fill you up so you can use your gifts and glorify them in your passions. Man, you wanna know what we love around here? It's that. Man, are you living in God's purpose? Are you living through your passions? I don't know if you, we got plenty of students that are going through this. We got plenty of young adults that are going through this. We got plenty of adults that are going through this. Man, I just don't feel like I'm supposed to be doing what I'm doing. Great. Great. Let God soothe your soul. Let's pray. Forgive me, Lord. It's still hard to come to the mountain. Even though I wanna be with you, I know this is your will for me. Bless this day, Father. With your presence and your words, I give myself to you. Use me as you choose. Teach me as you please. And help me to set aside all else for the pure joy of being just us today.